All right, I think we got it. So, well, welcome back, Texans. I was really hoping that we could time it, because I knew they were coming, to where they could walk in awkwardly during a moment where we could all stand up and applaud, and it didn't work out that way. And then the other idea that Neil and I were talking about would be really funny, knowing if we knew when they were going to get here, if we all left and just went in the other room, but I said, you know, there's a good chance Ethan's grabbing a donut before he gets in here, so there's really no place to hide, but it would have been funny. But anyway, so as we uh, get into the service today, we're going to kind of, we're not transitioning, but we're going in deep. We're going in deeper into the area of this in his image aspect. Um, it's been interesting over the last several weeks as I've been preparing and studying, and I talked to other guys that are in the ministry and, and uh, friends of mine and whatnot, and seeing a, 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 I guess what you would call a trend going. Because if you look around the church right now, okay, in, in America today, I assure you that the pews are getting fuller. Why is that? Time of year, right? For no other reason than this is the time of year. This is the time of year. There's two times of year. We call them Christians, okay? Christmas, Easter, Christian, okay, nobody? All right. I will not trademark that name, so. But, but this is the time of year where they come out in, in full force. Why? Why do we do that? Well, there's two significant events. The birth of Christ and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, right? Those are the two events. Those are the cornerstones of Christianity. Because as you well know, that if Jesus was never born, then he couldn't die. And if he didn't die, then he couldn't resurrect. And if that didn't happen, what are we? Still lost, right? So one thing leads to another. The beautiful thing about uh, uh, being born is you will eventually die. You cannot do one without the other. They go hand in hand. And that brings people out. Why does it bring people out? Because this is the time of year where we begin to sit and we begin to listen. And then what happens when that's over? We go back to our daily lives. But is that what God intended? Did God, did Jesus, when he was on the earth, was he sitting there setting up a series of things that we do on an annual basis that we just kind of gather together to talk about him? Is that what his intention was? Because when we talk about being created in his image, we've got to drill down on what that means. We've got to get past the superficiality and realize that we are dealing with something so unique, unlike any other religion. I don't even like to phrase it that way, because it implies that it's just a different set of beliefs and, and, and it affects the way we live. But what Jesus was doing was creating a world in which you and I operate as Him, as God on this earth. Now, I know a lot of people, when they hear that said, it's freaky, it's weird, like, wait a minute, are you saying you're God? No, I'm saying I'm filled with God. You see, the differentiation between any other religion is this. When they came to God, okay, little g, God, what did they do? They brought their sacrifices. They had to serve that idol. They had to do certain things, the spirit behind the idol. But here, you and I, when they went to the place, what, what's the place now? We're the place. You and I, being the temple of God, means that wherever we go, God goes. Whatever we do, God does. Whatever we say, God says. Now, some of you are thinking, like, this is not good. 
because God's saying some pretty terrible things. Football season's over for the only team that matters. So the terrible things are done being talked about. Right? Football. Football. I don't want any more heartbreak. Football. That's the thing. Like, we, we talk about God in this way as if he's out there and he's like something that we have to come together and we just bow down before and we hope if we do all the right things, we'll find favor in his eyes. But is that what Jesus was setting up? Is that what God had originally intended? Let's think about this for a moment. In Genesis 1, what did God do? He created everything. Then he created man. And then what did he do? He fellowshiped with man. Right? In the cool of the day, he came. And he, it was like a, a prescribed time that he kind of came and he hang out with Adam. What were they talking about? I don't know. Probably Nebraska football would be my guess. God's probably saying, listen, there's this team that's going to have this legacy and this dynasty. And then it's all going away. And you'll be in misery for all of eternity. That's part of the fall. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, sorry, I digress. The thing is, is we, we, we think about what did God originally intend to do? He had fellowship with mankind. He had fellowship with all of his creation. He was there with them. And when did that change? When did God's intentions change? See, the difference between us and the Old Testament saints is that what did they have to do? They had to go to the presence of God. You and I are in it all the time. The problem is we don't live like it. We don't recognize it. We don't experience it. We talk about God as if he's out there, but he's really not affecting our life. Yeah, we pray, oh, Lord, please, if it be thy will, do this, that, or the other. Lord, I really want a new car. Lord, I really want a new house. Lord, whatever. We treat him like he's this, this genie in a lamp, and if we just click our heels together and say it three times, that magic happens. But the example was set up between he and the disciples of what to do. And when he did that, he's showing us exactly what we can do with him. Now, we're going to go to John 17. Now, I know we've read this, and we've read it multiple times, but we're going to read it again. John chapter 17 is a prayer that Jesus is giving before he's arrested to go to the cross. So he's gone through all of this stuff. He's been sitting there talking with his disciples. Now he goes by himself, and he begins to pray. Look what he says. Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. Now look what he said there. The time has come. The hour has come. What hour? It's the purpose. The hour has come for the purpose of which I came. You see, remember, he was all God, and he left that aside to become all man on this earth. Everything that Jesus did on this earth, he did as a man, full of the Holy Spirit, as an example to you and I. We'll get into that later. Then he says, glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you've given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. Now, why did he say it that way? Because there are a lot of gods. There's only one true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Oh, that we could pray that prayer before we go. I have finished the work which you have given me to do, so now, Father, glorify me together with yourself. I've glorified you on earth, now's my time. Unfortunately, that's not the reality that we live in. Let's go on, verse 6. 
I have manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me. They have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and that they have believed that you sent me. Now, what is he setting up here? What is he saying? In other words, he represented God the Father to the men whom God had given him. You guys see that? He is the express image of the Father on the earth. So, if you want to know what the will of God is, how can you know? Well, let's ask Jesus. That's how we know, right? Because he is there representing the Father. That's what he's saying. Verse 9, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Who's he talking about? The disciples. Now, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you've given me, that they may be one as we are. So now he's talking about unification. Jesus and the Father are one, yes? Okay, does he want his disciples to be one? Yes, one in purpose, one in reasoning, one in mission. He wants them to be one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who's that? Look around. All of us. So first he prays for the disciples, the men who had been with him from the beginning. In order to be a disciple, you had to be there at the moment that he was baptized. Jesus went and handpicked the initial 12. Now he had thousands of disciples. We talk about the 12, and we really don't even talk about the 12. We really talk about the seven or eight. But he starts off with them, and then he goes on. I don't just pray for them but for every person who will believe in me through their word, through their what? Their testimony. Through the words that they are going to say, verse 21, that they all may be one. So does he want all the believers who have come to faith as a result of the words of the original disciples to be as one? Absolutely. Well, what does that look like? In what way are they one? Well, let's just see. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Now think about that. Was there any separation between Jesus and the Father? Zero. We saw time and time again throughout the, the New Testament how the Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You, you see different components of that. Jesus and the Father, you couldn't tell where one stopped and the other began. What did he want from his church? He wants the church to be one. Do you know why we have so many denominations today? Because we don't agree. We can't agree on what Scripture says and what Jesus wanted. Did that happen with the disciples? A little bit. They have disagreements. Did Peter and Paul get into it? A little bit. 
Did Paul block Peter on Facebook? No. They stayed one. There was correction being brought. When in Acts 15, where they all kind of came together and they're trying to figure out, what do we do with these Gentiles? Do they need to be circumcised? Do they, do they need to follow the commandments? What do they, they got to do? They kind of sat together and hashed it out, united in purpose, united in, in, in reality, and, and says, okay, well, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us that these are the things you do. I like how they phrased that. Seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Like your opinion matters. But that's how they said it. Why? Because what did they have? They had authority. Whatever you bind on earth, bound in heaven. Whatever you loose, allow on earth. So whatever decree that they had made, they did have authority from Jesus. Where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. It's as if he's right there. What did they do first? Let's check. Let's pray. Let's see what the Holy Spirit wants. Boy, if we'd only do that today. But I digress. Let's go on. That they all may be one, as you, Father, and me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. How will the world believe that you sent me? Us being one. One with whom? One with one another. One with the Father. One with the Son. One with the Holy Spirit. As, and, and in other words, that these disciples, where, where they stop and God starts, can't tell. Surely we've all known somebody like that. Who do you guys start to think of when you hear things like that? These ministers that just kind of live their life in such cohesion with God. Well, what do we think of? The greats, the John Lakes of the world, the Smith Wigglesworth of the world. Like You could go through some of these old names. You know the beautiful part about the dead people that we, we kind of revere and, and honor and all of that? Is they did all the stupid stuff already. They can't surprise you anymore. They went through troubles too. But they all came back to this one thing. What does God want? What does God expect from me? Verse 22, And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. What is he looking for? That they may be perfect in one just as we are. This is God's heart. This is why Jesus came. He did not come so that we can have special services in December and April and or March. It's not about this, of something that we just kind of do. It's about this, where we are. If I were to ask you guys right now, okay, I want everybody to do this. I want you guys to look to God. What do we do? We look up. Where should we look? Inside. Where's he at? Because we are one with him. This matters. I promise I'm going somewhere with this. Verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for, for you love me before the foundation of the world. Where, where is he? He's at the right hand of the Father. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have, uh, these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. See, here's the problem. We are waiting on something to happen. 
we're looking for something we can do, something tangible that we can go into, something that we, we can like experience in God. What can we experience in God? Well, we can experience in a service. We can experience by taking communion. We can experience by singing songs. Those are tangible. But for the average person, this idea that God is in us, while they all may say it, not many believe it, because if you believed it, it might alter your behavior just a little. The decisions that you make of where you go might change. And then on top of it, where you go, the things you do might change also. But how do we get there? How do we get to where Jesus intended his disciples to be? Because in this room are people who are disciples of Jesus. What does that mean? I'm a follower. I won't even use the term Christian because it's, it's been so bastardized, but but. I'm the follower of Jesus, so what he said, I'll say, and what he did, I'll do. In other words, what is it? I'm created in his image. I'm his representative. So I want to make sure that the words that I speak glorify and honor him. The things that I do glorify and honor him. You guys hear me say it all the time. Lord, with every fiber of our being, may we worship you and give you everything. Those are not just hyperbole. That, that, that literally means something. Lord, I want every aspect of my life to bring glory to you, no matter where I am and what I'm doing, whether it be at the school or whether it be at my business or whether it be in the grocery store. Lord, I want to buy milk and glorify you in it. I want every part of my life. In other words, I'm so God conscious that the things of this world will grow strangely dim. So God aware of who he is in me that everywhere I go, it's like I'm scanning the room just like Jesus would have, just like Jesus did, just like his apostles did. How do we get there? John chapter 15. You see, these things that we say, we obviously don't really believe. Or we just haven't figured out how to step into it. John chapter 15, verse 1 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now let's stop. So what is the moral of the story here? It's talking about fruit bearing and how one does it. The fruit bearing aspect that Jesus is referring to here has to happen through what? Connection to the vine. Right? We're the branch, he's the vine. He's the trunk, we're the branch. If you cut a branch off of a tree, how much fruit is it going to bear? None. If I take a branch and I go set it next to a tree, how much fruit is it going to bear? It's not. It's going to dry up and wither away to eventually be tossed off to the side. So in other words, he's saying there's no way that you can produce fruit in and of yourself. You can't do it. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. What is happening right now in the world? Well, churches are starting to fill up. 
I am going to honor God by my attendance during the Christmas season and once again during the Easter season. Are they abiding in Him? No, you can't be. Because you can't abide in God and it not affect you. You can't abide in Him and there not be life flowing through you. You have to. And the problem is, is we seem to think that, oh man, if I get born again, then the life of God is in me. That's true. But you've got to unleash it. Because abiding doesn't simply mean a conscious awareness that God is in me. It's that life-flowing spirit recognizing, being so aware of His presence. Let's go on. Verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. But by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. What is the purpose? To bear fruit. To live our lives in a way that we bear fruit for the kingdom. This is how God is glorified. Now, here's the thing. This is what we have to think about. When we're truly abiding in him, do we have to try to bear fruit? Well, let's put this in a natural term. Does a branch try really, really hard to bear fruit that's connected to the tree? The apple tree is not really putting forth a lot of effort to make apples. It's what it does. A healthy apple tree will produce apples. A healthy orange tree will produce oranges. I'll tell you something that's a little embarrassing for me, and maybe I've told you this before, but I did not grow up in an agricultural world, even though I grew up in this area, and I grew up in a small town, and agriculture's all around you. There's a lot that I did not know, one of which is that dairy cows do not just produce milk because they're dairy cows. They actually have to have a baby to produce said milk. Now, when that was explained to me about a decade or so ago, it made sense, but prior to that, I thought, well, God made Animals that make milk, that's pretty sweet. Had no idea. But even in that, is the body just straining so hard to produce that little cow? No. What happens? When you abide, fruit is produced. You see, it comes with the territory. Now, we can get into what fruit is here in a minute, but it's all about abiding in Him. And unfortunately, too much of the church is simply existing with Him around and not abiding in Him. It transforms everything. So let's look at this here a little deeper. We recognize that He is the branch, we are the vine. We hear that said all the time, but we don't even know what it means. The word abide simply means this, to remain stable or in a fix, fixed in a state. That's a proper definition. What does it mean to say that you abide by the rules? You conform to them. If you abide by the decision that was made, what does that mean? That without objection, I will accept it. I will accept what the decision was made. I will live my life by the rule. So if we're abiding in Him, what are we doing? We're staying inside the confounds of what Jesus intended for a human being to do on this earth. And what is that? 
We see it in Genesis chapter 1. Be fruitful, multiply the earth. Fulfill it. This is exactly what God had intended to do from the very beginning. If you're wondering what the new heavens and new earth will be like, it's going to be like Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. It's going to be all over again. You had paradise lost in Genesis 1. You've got paradise regained at the end of Revelation. And everything in between is how we get to those two spots. But that's then. This is now. You see, when we come to Christ, we think it's our ticket to heaven. No, Jesus never went around saying that if you die today, do you know where you'll go? Never once. Heaven is the byproduct. The beautiful thing about a life given over to Christ is you don't have to try to get to heaven. You're in. You're already clean because you believe the word. But now, bear fruit. (coughs) Bear fruit because he's worthy. That's where this is going. So let's look at this a little deeper. 1 John chapter 2. (coughs) Excuse me. Verse 3 says, Now by this we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So if you are claiming to abide in the Lord, what should we be doing? We should be walking just as he walks, right? Is that not what John says? It's funny that it is John who uses this word abide so many times in all of his writings. The majority of the time is him talking about this. But look what he said in verse 4. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. If you're wondering who the group is that says, Lord, Lord, I did this in your name, I did that in your name. Those are likely a good chunk of the people that might be just attending church this week and next week. And not again until March or April, whenever it is. Doesn't mean they're not born again. Maybe they are. They're certainly not abiding. Because if you're abiding in Him, what are you doing? His commandments. Well, what are His his commandments? To abide in Him. If you abide in Him, getting together with the body of Christ is easy. It's part of what we do. Worshiping God is easy. It's part of what we do. Prayer, fasting, easy. It's part of what we do. Because I want to be so God conscious. I want my flesh buried down. It's so hard today, especially with these young people. These young people have had a lot handed to them in life. Life is getting easier and easier. And with each passing generation, the easier life gets, the harder it is for them to recognize this. But their entire lives are brought up to go and chase these things. And they're trying to do all these things and make their place in this world. But what if their place was intended to just abide in Him? What if we truly sought after the kingdom of God and then these things will be added to you? What if we really just believe that and we quit trying to make things happen and we allow the Lord to direct our path. What happens? You see, what happens when we walk as He walked? We're abiding in Him. First John chapter 4, verse 15. It says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. You see, what we've got to understand is that everything that we do is from a position of righteousness. Right standing with God. Everything that we do is from a right position with God. There are only two positions, the right position with God and the wrong position with God. Many people will drive to church, but they've never been driven to their knees. We're abiding in something. It's either in God or it's in the world. Did Jesus intend for his disciples to abide in this world? No, he said this world will hate you because of my word. 
That means if the world is not hating you because of his word, maybe you're not abiding in him as you should. Maybe we're trying way too hard to get along instead of bringing truth. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about being belligerent for belligerent's sake. I'm saying that we are so immersed in him because we recognize that we are the temple, that that presence, the truth, all the power just exudes from us everywhere we go. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. Verse 5. It says, For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is in enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now let's stop for a second. Those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. We're talking about carnally minded. Again, I know we've talked about this, but this isn't a moral attribute necessarily. This is thinking biblically, thinking spiritually. What did Jesus do? We can get the old bracelets out again if we need to. What would Jesus do? But it was a valid question. It turned into nonsense, but it was a valid question. Brilliant marketing. Somebody made millions selling these bracelets and t-shirts and all of that. But it didn't transform lives. You see, he's talking about us living spiritually minded. It's life and peace. I'll tell you a story. Terry, you know, you guys know Terry and Laura. Terry was telling me a long time ago that, uh, you know, he's had some business dealings or some things that he's always wanted to do and stuff like that. And he, he said, you know, years ago I recognized that the harder I tried to make something happen, the more likely it was to blow up in my face. And when I quit trying to make things happen and just allowed them to come, suddenly things got a lot easier. It's an interesting take. Because do we have to try to do the things of the Spirit? No, we should be so immersed in His presence that it just happens naturally. Verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Where's the Spirit of God? It's in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. He will give life to your mortal body. Do you need your mortal body to fulfill the plan of God in your life? Absolutely. If it's sick and broken down and can't move and all of that, is it going to work very well? No. Was that God's intention? Not according to Scripture. God's intention was not about us just barely getting by. God's intention seemed to be that we will thrive in the face of any persecution and anything that this world throws at us. I don't care what it is. But the thing that we've got to understand here is when Jesus was on this earth, what was he doing? He was representing God to man. And then he says, I want you to represent me to man, right? So therefore, everything that Jesus said about himself, he was also saying about us. Let me show you this. In John chapter 8, I want you to watch this. John chapter 8, verse 12, it says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. No problem, we know that verse. There's a whole context there we don't need to get into today. The statement in and of itself stands. I am the light of the world. Who's the light of the world? Jesus is. And who, who follows that light will not walk in darkness, 
but they will have the light of life. So those who follow the light of the world. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Again, you're familiar with this. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Who is the light of the world? He just said we are. Who did he say was the light of the world? He was. Well, then how can we be? Because where he is and where we start, you don't know. Nor, verse 15, do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the, in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, if your light is, that light is not shining, who's the light of the world? We are. That means everybody who's born again is a light to the world. Unfortunately, some of those lights are running pretty dim. Because we're not letting that light shine before men. Because we're not immersed in His presence. We're not aware that He is in us. Every time I go to work, where is Jesus? He's with me. That presence is there. Can I do my job and minister? Absolutely. Can I go to school and do my schoolwork and my studies and pay attention and still bring the presence of God? Absolutely. Because where I go, He goes. You cannot be separated from the presence of God. And so many of us, and so much time has gone to God, we just want the Holy Spirit to fall down. He can't fall down. He's already in us. He's already here. We're waiting for God to do something. Where is He? He's in us. What's He waiting for us to do? Hey, move. Walk as I walked. How many of you guys want to see a move of God? You guys want to see it again? Exactly right. What are we waiting on? We're waiting on God to like get in us and move us and do the thing. I feel like that's from Men in Black there for a little bit. But, but I mean, we're waiting on God to do something. He's in us. When he says we have the mind of Christ and the peace of the Lord, what does that mean? That means we have the mind of Christ and the peace of the Lord. I'm okay with having the mind of Christ. I don't know about you. I'd be good with that. What is it on this earth that we can't do? According to Jesus, nothing that he did. He's in us. If we move, he moves. Where we go, he goes. If we speak, he speaks. If we lay on hands, he lays on hands. That means when we pray for somebody, who's really praying? It's Jesus. That's the Spirit of God in us. You see, you're trying to do it on your own. You're trying to go up, Lord, please heal this person. I'm begging you if it be your will. It's his will. How do we know? Because he did it. If you abide in him, you ought to walk just as he walked. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him. And establish in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. Do you know most of the church today just is waiting on God to do something because we don't have enough 
What did he just say? We have it all. In him dwells all the fullness of God. And where is he at? So that's what we got to ask ourselves. If Jesus were to come to my work, what would he do? If he were to come to my school, what would he do? If he was to come to my business, what would he do? If Jesus was walking through the grocery store and he sees somebody in a wheelchair, what would he do? If he got a phone call and found out somebody was diagnosed with cancer, what would he do? Because whatever that is, it's what we should do. If Jesus were standing here right now and found out that Jim Clodfelter had a bum knee, got an MRI, basically said they don't know what's wrong, but a shot. And he's been on crutches for two weeks. And he threw the crutches away yesterday or the day before, but he's in pain. What would he do? So what should we do? We should pray for him, shouldn't we? Because what's the difference? We're waiting on God to move. God's like, move! So let's do that. Let's pray for him. Who wants to pray for Jim? Who wants to be Jesus right now? Somebody. It's not a matter. Again, the only reason I'm not is because everybody waits on the pastor. Amen. Here we go. Let's pray. Go ahead. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Yes. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. It's your life. Yes, Lord. Thank you for healing our body, Father. Yes, Lord. Thank you for healing my body, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You see, if Jesus was standing here, you'd have no doubt. We'd all be standing in line. Okay, Lord, I stubbed my toe. Right? But the same thing, it just happened. Now, what would Jesus expect him to do? Get up and walk. Get up and walk. And it might feel a little weird at first. Because remember, when Peter looked at the band at the beautiful gate and he pulled him up, it talks about he's a little wobbly. But the more that he does it in faith, the more that he walks, the more he's going to realize that strength is coming back. It's 100%. I'll tell you, I hurt my back last week with Paul Zimmerman, of all people, okay, playing golf. I did it a year and a half ago. I couldn't hardly walk for three to four weeks. 
It was bad. And the same exact thing happened. And I'm praying, I'm like, okay, God. I immediately went to the chiropractor. I went through all the rigmarole where I actually had a phone call with Corey Brewer, whom we all know and love and adore now. And uh, I told him we're going to make T-shirts with his face on it. We're all going to wear them. But, uh, but he's like, I was telling him, I'm sitting in the chair, and we're talking about something completely unrelated, and I winced as I moved. And, he, and I said, oh, yeah, man, I hurt my back. And he's like, are you believing God? And I said, well, yeah, I am. He's like, are you really? I said, yeah, I am. He's like, I'm going to pray for you. So we prayed. Again, felt zero, felt nothing. I get up out of my office. I went in there. I was probably getting coffee is what I usually do. And I'm walking around. And the Lord literally said, if your back was healed, what would you do right now? And he said, touch your toes. And I'm like, Lord, I can't touch my toes on a normal day. I can barely see them. But I know they're there. And so I bent over and I touched my toes and it was tight a little bit. And he's like, do it again. And so I did it again. And, I did, and the next thing I know, I'm walking. I played golf again with Paul on Mondays. Now, sometimes you walk into the lion's den on your own, okay? But what I'm saying is it's the power of God. It's moving through us, and we have to act on it. We're waiting for God to move. He can't move if we don't. You see, we've got to get to recognize that. Have you had any breathing problems at all? Breathing problems since Corey was here. You said you're lonesome. No, it's been amazing, right? And who prayed for you? Ashley. Ashley probably doesn't even realize this. Emphysema, whatever it was. He's not had a breathing treatment since. You prayed for him. It was the power of God. Imagine, Ashley, what can happen if you take that with you everywhere you go. What happens if you take that to work? What happens if you take that to your family? What happens if you allow the life of God to flow through you and you get so immersed in the presence of God, it will transform your life. It will transform your family's life. Your family tree will never be the same again. What happens if you just fully just lay out, God, I'm all I have is yours? What happens? It transforms everything. The power of God's already worked through you. It's just a matter of time. It happens to you. You won't have to wear that thing on your hip. I know it's hard to trust God. It's hard to believe God when you're facing it, but what does the Word say? If Jesus was standing here telling you this, would we have any doubt? No, we make fun of the disciples like, how do you not get it? Jesus is here. Like, hello. That's the thing. He's here. He's in all of us. We have got to start to think differently. It's so much more. You see, we equate it to church attendance. It's really not that. What happens is when a person sold out to God is they will never miss an opportunity because I just want to be with the people of God. I want to be in the presence of God. There's something powerful that happens when we gather together. It's not just about words on a page. As you guys know, I've got the heart of a teacher. I love getting into the Word, going down deep, staying down long. But I, too, have to transform and now take it another level to take the theory and put it into practice. Take the theory and make it a part of my life. Because it amazes me. Again, I've been in ministry for over 20 years now. I will have a conversation with any person. I don't care where it is. I don't care how combative they are. I'll sit at a restaurant. I'll have a conversation. I'll pivot it to the gospel. Some of you guys maybe have been with me when I've done this kind of stuff. Because that doesn't bother me. I'm looking for opportunity. But my goodness, to take the power of God and pray for healing... It's tough. That's sad. Because is the results our problem? No. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's just believing what God said. It's believing what God, do we really believe that God's word is true? If Jesus stood up here and we hadn't read that and he just said it, would we have any doubt in our mind? No. But we're not walking in the fullness of the power. See, there's so much more. You two girls in the back, I'm telling you, I've seen what God can do with you and what God will do with you if you, I mean, fully sell out. Like, you may think it's kind of out there. stuff. You experience a touch from God in October. That's simply the beginning of what could be. I'm just telling you. Like, I want you to know there's so much more, so much deeper. I'm not saying they're doing anything wrong. Don't misunderstand me. When you're a teenager, especially a girl, there's a lot of distractions. There are so many crazy things that makes you want to put metal through your nose. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. But God's good, amen? We've got to dive in deeper. We've got to press him farther. We've got to begin to recognize and see ourselves through the lenses of Scripture. That's God's word, not man's teaching. It's God's word. It's his ways. It's his power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, that we're going deeper, that we're finding you, experiencing you, living for you. And I thank you that your power is flowing through all of us, your life, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, quickens and makes alive our mortal bodies. Lord, that we're not chasing healing, we're chasing the healer. We're not chasing signs and wonders, we're chasing the God of the universe who gives signs and wonders. Lord, may our hearts be open to all that you have. All that you have, Lord. May we be aware of your presence every moment of every day. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Just getting started, folks. It's going to be good. So, get some help with the candles. Don't forget about 5.30 tonight. All the prime rib you can eat. God bless you guys. See you tonight.